0: Can you remember when I tried to set up my first Facebook group and I made a banner and we were sitting at home and I called it perimenopause and you and your friend Kev had no idea what perimenopause was. Well, we
1: thought it was a source from Nando's, so.
0: <laughs> Like a peri-peri source or something. Yeah,
1: i mean, I never even heard of it before. So I thought there was menopause and menopause. I didn't think there was a pre-menopause and especially called peri-peri menopause.
0: <laughs> but together we've gone on a, a long learning
1: oh my gosh yeah and i've learned loads from you you've done god you've opened the doors for so many things
0: yeah. welcome everyone at home i'm so excited to have my amazing husband tim binnington with me today who's now having a cup of tea and making more noise <laughs> We are away on holiday in Italy, it's a really rainy day, the children are with my mum and auntie and we've got neighbours in our holiday apartment that are banging on the doors and on their walls so you are going to have some background noise today, you have to bear with us but I'm really grateful for you to come to this episode today, thank you David. I'm
1: amazed you've asked me.
0: <laughs> well it's taken over a year. I really wanted to have this conversation because I always say cancer doesn't just affect a person who gets the diagnosis. Cancer is a family affair and it affects everyone around you, your friends, your family, your employees, your employers in different ways. And I just wanted to bring people a little bit into our story of how much our lives have changed over the last 10 years.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So I'm going to now ask you to go straight back to one of the hardest points of 10 years ago.
1: It was about eight months in, or seven months in, I can't remember, but I was in a card shop in Surbiton. And at this point, I, was, I had done various things like left my watch that my mum had given me in a, in a cubicle or like, Put, um, I drained the battery on my car by mistake and put the, uh, the plus and the negative the wrong way around and blew the battery up on the car. There were lots of these telltale signs where I wasn't coping. And one time I was in a shop, in a card shop in Surbiton, and I don't know what happened. But the lady behind the counter said, are you okay? And I said, I don't think I am. And I must have stood there for probably 40 minutes, just staring (laughs) at nothing (laughs) where I couldn't process everything. So um, someone had told me about the Butterfly Center uh, in Epsom. Uh, It was a hospital there. And there was a place for charity for people that were supporting people with cancer. And I went there and asked them and I got 10 sessions with a lady. And it was really helpful
0: you were really responsive to what she said, because I think a lot of times you then helped me a little bit with the advice you had, and that was, let's just deal with what we know right now, because my thoughts were always going to do what ifs, and I couldn't tell a lot of people my fears, but you, you always knew all of them, so I offloaded every single one of my worries, it was such a brave fuck onto you, but you kept saying, let's just focus on what we know today. And you kept bringing your thoughts back into what we knew rather than what my worries were. Do you think that was really helpful advice for you?
1: It took 10 sessions, I think, or 12 sessions. And each session was over an hour long. And it took that amount of time over every week to get that one point across. So it's not an easy process because of the your fear and angst and compounded with my fear that it sort of looked i mean when the doctor had said that there was not much hope for you at that time yeah that was difficult i suppose
0: i think i remember in those early years after my diagnosis what was weird is we were so strong together weren't we Like, we had the kids. When I look at my photo album now that I made, you know, the yearly, the photo books, we had all these amazing holidays. From the outside, I wore my wig, I looked okay. It was almost like life was actually really normal, but we had this huge, monumental thing happening. And for the first few years, it seemed like we were this really strong unit, but in a way, we were going through our experiences in an isolated way, although we're this... Mm. close couple we were still each of us going through this experience alone and I know it was a lonely time for each one of us which is bizarre isn't it when you think you're going through something together and I don't know if anyone at home listening to this if it resonates with them or whether that was just our experience.
1: Yeah you're right there was an isolation to it but also because I was traveling back to the UK every week and I was living in a rented accommodation while we were renovating a whole house which took its own process of difficulties I I felt I was physically alone Mm. as well as emotionally alone but that therapist going back to her yeah the point was we all go to a place of what is this going to mean what happens you go down a dark hole and she made me think where are we actually now rather than where would we be, mm. which kept me present, which was really, really key. Yeah. I, I think so. I, I would say to anyone going through it, of course, you're going to go down what happens if this happens and that happens. But if you look at where you're at actually now, and remember, she said, Is she ill right now? And it was always no. Has she got it coming? No. You know, everything. I was she made me be in the present. I mean, looking back, there were other key things that were really challenging. And I remember dealing with the fact that you might not be around. I was trying to get the children into schools, Rosa especially, to start school on the basis that she couldn't be far away from where the house is. Because if you weren't around, you know, if It hadn't been good news. I needed things to be local. Practical. And practical. So I was trying to get everything to be local and practical on the basis that I didn't want to admit that you wouldn't be around to you, but I had to plan that you might be around.
0: Yeah, you never said that to me. No. no. And you and your mum were both really practical because I remember you came one weekend and you said, right, we're potty training the twins. And they were like two and a half. And I did not have the energy going through chemo to potty train twins with a... You know, another four-year-old at home, and you just got it done and dusted. I mean, they were awful at first and wet their bed, remember, for ages. (laughs) And then your mum turning (laughs) up going, right, Danny, I think you need a new wig. Yours looks horrendous. And then you one day going, oh, my gosh, are you still wearing that thing? It sticks out at the back.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God, that bloody wig, yeah. It was was like a bird's nest at the end. I mean, (laughs) if if a sparrow had been living in it, I would not have been surprised.
0: (sighs) But I also became really obsessed with changing my diet very soon after active treatment finished. And I remember that day when I cooked courgette and you went off to the fish and chip shop. But you didn't tell me at first because you didn't want to insult me um, because my food was never quite filling at first. Was it quite bland?
1: Oh, my God listen you tried but you weren't a natural cook at the time so you've learned to be a very now you're an excellent excellent i mean you cook better than anyone i know but at the time it was yeah you if you put if you needed salt and it wasn't salt but it was white you and it was flour you would have put it in so you just put anything that looked right into the mill and if there wasn't anything you would just go without so ingredients weren't important to you so of course yeah, there was a point, there was a duration where we had to go, you know.
0: You were so supportive, though, weren't you? You even booked me onto the nutrition in practice course at Leeds cookery school. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that was a great... Well, that was as much for me because I needed you to improve.
0: <laughs> Although you did cook <laughs> yourself at home. <laughs> it wasn't just me, but I always felt the sheer support and the doing it together... And at the same time, going through big experiences like this can still make you feel isolated in your own experience. Oh God. Can't I it? mean the,
1: the time that I remember that was the most one well, of the most difficult was when I was trying to get our eldest daughter Rosa. We decided to come back to the UK, and this is after your treatment had finished, which we should go on to afterwards, because that was more challenging, I feel, than actually the treatment. Uh, so we could Touch on that later but you I had to get Rosa into a school which we couldn't get into and they didn't have the space so they decided to put Rosa into a school that she didn't want to go to one school and there was another school that they were said they were put into a taxi to get to the school and I then said no I'm not having that I wanted to go to the local school which is five, ten-minute walk from us, which is brilliant school, and that's what I wanted. And they said, no, there's no space. And I then refused to send her to school on that basis. And I had to go to a board of independent sort of governors in the local council to plead my case of why Rosa needed to go to this school. And that was when it hit me, because I had to tell them and it's the first time I told anyone out loud about how vulnerable you were and how precarious the situation was and how delicate it was and the chances you living and all this. And I' never even actually externally said it. And then through the course of this, it must have worked well because I, I just fell apart. And when I was standing there, I had to stand in the corner for 10 minutes and bring myself together wow. as I was blubbering in the corner trying to keep myself together I and mean, then came back and said, look, this is why. And then actually it must have worked because they said, no, yep, you can definitely <laughs> <laughs> go to the school you want. It's absolutely fine. Just do it. It's fine. And, um, uh, yeah, that, sometimes when you actually externally say something, it, it's one thing internalising it which we all do, and we think we're processing it, but it's another thing when you actually externally say it.
0: Absolutely, which is why my groups and workshops and the programmes are so lovely when all these women come together and we we say these things out loud to other people with shared experience. It takes it to the other level, doesn't it? Even your fears, your worries, but also your joys and
1: yeah yeah no it's I, I, look a reflection again is so important because when you're uh, when you're a spectator in this process and you then have to look at the enormity of it the suffering of someone you love um, the acceptance of this may not work out as you think how you would deal with that and you have to quietly sit there in the corner get on with it mm. Yeah, looking back, it's really, and it's a very It's important you both are strong, but it's yeah, yeah, and no one tells you. We just, if someone had told me I have to chop my little toe off and it would be all right, that's what you would do. You don't, and you go into sort of like a yes mode where anyone tells you to do a doctor, anyone with a white jacket on would have told me something, you would have done it, wouldn't you?
0: And also, I think the emphasis is always on the person, and of course, rightly so, that has had a difficult health diagnosis or is going through a challenging time but I do think and I also know that from personal experience with my own family members that being the person who loves the ill person or the person going through treatment is as challenging. I've been on both sides Mm -hmm. and I can't actually tell you that having been ill myself was much worse. I think there is the same pain, the same fears, the same vulnerabilities for someone who is looking after, or the family member, or the loved one of a person who's going through through it, but there is much less support and talk for those people affected. Much less networks. Yeah, no, I think
1: you're right. I think that's that. There is a big gap for that because it, the more that the person can support someone else everything's better. And and look, you know, there's lots of positivity with with cancers now. I mean, I I don't look at it as a negative, it's negative what's happening, but what I'm saying is the result doesn't always have to be a negative result, but it's how you cope with it at the end. Because, you know, I, I also like the fact that you've always open with the children. I mean, when they were younger, they didn't understand much, but you've always been open with them about cancer and the meaning of it, what it is, because they're not scared to talk about it we didn't hide it we didn't try and make everything all right we didn't try and just make it fluffy so actually they know about you know the challenges of this illness and what it's about so i think that's a really good thing to be transparent because then you're not hiding any feelings everything's exposed and your fears and your optimism and everything everything's there which is better to do
0: how frustrating was i to you when after my active treatment finished, the year after, the second year after, the third year after.
1: 10 years after.
0: Thank you very much. At home, that was a (laughs) little dig. I was consumed by the fear that my cancer would return and I would have so many pains and ailments and some of them I would get checked out and CT scans and X-rays and what have you and others I didn't. I sit with the worry at home alone had hospital appointments how frustrating must it have been
1: no it was frustrating but i did i did empathize with the fact that you said to me it was like and this is i don't know if this resonates with people that what when you were having the treatment you were looked after there was someone there lots of people whether you had chemo or radio or, or bloods or anything they were they were there watching you and as soon as the radiotherapy had finished it was like you said someone shut the door And I've visualised this now, it's like a house with a veranda and up in the sky and a tightrope. That's how I visualise it. And they shut the door, said bye, thank you, and you had to go off the veranda and walk along this tightrope on your own without anything to help you balance, without a safety rope or anything. And that's how I visualise your journey at the end because it was like, yeah, you're fine, but every pain you had. every ache in your leg from the bones after chemo radiotherapy, you thought there was another cancer.
0: But it was frustrating because you wanted to so desperately move forward. I remember the time you wanted to book a holiday, and I said, we can't book a holiday for in three months' time. What if yeah. I have a recurrence, or what if I have to have an appointment and we can't make it, yeah, and we yeah. have to disappoint the children? And you constantly wanted to look ahead, and I didn't really... Yeah. allow you to because I couldn't it was such a frustrating time wasn't it
1: it was frustrating but look you know it was massive what you went through and you through chemo were unbelievable i mean you i mean you did a half marathon nearly as soon as it finished you know you were just there to fight it so but that worry i could see it all the time i mean joking aside you had your 10 years clear and coincidentally when you were 10 years clear you thought you had brain cancer and bone cancer in your back, which you were convinced, saying, I've got this pain, you went and had checkups and everything, but it tied t- totally into the time of 10 years. And sometimes you think, are you cheating life when that's, you know... I know. And, it, and, it and you always
0: say to me, don't let your fear hold you back. And now I look back and I think, bloody hell, 10 whole years, I have bloody worried about so many things and I'm sat here recording this podcast with you, and I was so, 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 so lucky that nothing was ever wrong when it could have easily gone wrong, but it wasn't. So I know how desperately lucky we are, right? Oh, absolutely. But also, I do sometimes feel sad for all of the hours and days I've lost to worry. Yeah,
1: but uh, to to yeah, but to be fair, Shetty, you, you know, you you've had a double mastectomy, a, a ovary's out. Uh, everything you've had done right you've got lymphedema in your arm everything this you haven't come at a price you're justified in having all this angst i mean god all the things you've gone through and how you have met the challenge i mean gosh you can't you can't accept something that big and you you know you've managed to do your yoga and all your teaching and all the stuff you're doing with the podcast and menopause after cancer and everything you know it's immense How lovely is he, my lovely husband? (laughs) No, I'm just being
0: honest. I mean, you feel lovely. Thank you. When my wig finally did come off, and my wig took a long time to come off because my hair never grew back fully. And this is unusual because usually hair grows back nice and thick and people love their locks or their hair changes in colour. You've been a hairdresser for over 25 years by then, right? Yeah, yeah. And Tim runs a big chain of hairdressing salons called Headmasters. I don't know if any one of you has ever walked past one, but you have lived and breathed hair ever since I've known you. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And when my week came off, I said to you, I'm going to stop brushing my hair now because my hair came back very thin and very fine and I had bald patches on the top of my head and I was worried at my normal hairbrushes. I had one of those tangle teasers and it just felt harsh on my scalp, but all the other brushes felt like they were pulling that more hair out. You said, you can't do that. You need to keep stimulating your scalp. Yeah. And then you went off and invented a new product. Well,
1: you said you wanted bristles on your fingers.
0: I said I wanted bristles on my fingers. And you said, well, 10 bristles isn't quite enough like your 10 fingers. You've got to carry on stimulating your scalp. But now I can't remember when you thought that you wanted to, I mean, not, it's, you're not an inventor. You'd never sold a product. You're in a service-based industry.
1: Yeah.
0: And how many clients a week do you do it? We do
1: about 10,000 clients a week there. So it's service-based. Yeah. But, but you know, when that happened, you know, you see, there was a couple of reasons, right? I had, when you said about that and I knew there was an issue, right? I looked, I started researching hairbrushes and, uh, the the first ones were made patented over 150 years ago in america and the basic design has not changed well the basic design is where someone has a handle and they pull the brush through the hair and they hope the bristles will give rather uh or the you know than the hair than the hair break but that doesn't happen right and because we've traditionally done that all the time that's what we expect and so i thought no, this shouldn't be like that. Because if you're brushing your fing, you're using your fingers. To brush your hair, you move your fingers accordingly around the hair to stop any breakage. If you feel a knot, you wouldn't just pull. So I then went about making a material or finding material and bonding two parts together, so a-, a brush would fit in your hand and move with your fingers, so you could feel every knot.
0: My bristles on my fingers. My on you. But it was weird because it was this very weird time of coming out of cancer treatment. We'd moved into the house. We'd moved back to England. We'd started the kids in nursery. Life was sort of, we're putting life back together in a new way. And you were often up at three o'clock in the morning, emailing people abroad. Yeah. And as a family, we laughed initially, didn't we? We were like, oh my gosh, Tim is upset. (laughs) He's he's just mad. Who is he emailing? Has he got a relationship? Is there a woman? (laughs) (laughs) What's he doing? A brush woman.
1: Yeah, but you know what? That was a, also a catalyst for me uh, for trying to move forward, and also it was cathartic in the sense that I didn't focus on the illness; I could focus on something else. I did. I needed something else. It, it you know, it's it's suffocating when someone's ill, and if you only focus on illness and trying to get them better, you need an, another outlet. And Headmasters, as lovely as it is, it had already been established. So at the point when you got it, I was doing less days in the business because I didn't need to work as much.
0: And you needed to drink my green smoothies because when you ploughed all of your energy into creating this new and inventing this new hairbrush, I was in the kitchen making weird smoothies. Yeah. Like I said, courgette. And I guess I put my focus and energy in really changing the way we ate as a family, didn't I?
1: You did. You put, you know, you put a lot of it onto the health and being proactive with foods and how that works. Then you worked also on, on yoga yeah. and how the body works. It was mind and body and gut. Um, so that so.
0: was two thousand and fourteen when you started being up at three o'clock in the morning, emailing people about mm. random pieces of technology and materials. Yeah. How long did it take you to actually? Well, Invent or, pa- or sort
1: of come well, up I with a prototype? Yeah, we, we did a prototype near on then with a 3D printer so it worked and it was step by step by step. And one thing, it's sort of a serendipity because you met someone in a playground that recommended someone else who was a design company that was really good. And I ended up being absolutely obsessed by getting this brush made to the point it cost over a quarter of a million pounds just mm-hmm. to get it. Mad. We did
0: think you were mad, mad and yes. losing your marbles. And I think you and my, your mum and our families really thought, okay, if you invest 15,000 pounds, 20 grand, that's different. But you kept investing.
1: Money. I, I, and I'm still obsessed now.
0: Uh, y- you are still obsessed now. If anyone at home is listening, we're going to talk you through the process. But that the, the brush is called Manta. And if you Google Manta hair, it'll come up. And it's You basically slide your hand through a pommel onto the brush and then the the base of the brush is flexible. And to actually move your hand, you can squish the brush together, open it up, and it moves to the shape of your hand, moves to the shape of your head. And basically, you have a lot more control over what you're doing. And control is what we were lacking. We lost all sense of control over our circumstances, didn't we? Mm. And the manta gives you back the control when you're brushing
1: Oh, I didn't think of that. That's a good way well, of
0: wrapping it up. Well, it does, for me, give me back my control because I have noticed when there is a knot. Yeah, yeah. And so true. when we were all of, all the family were your guinea pigs and the kids were the best guinea pigs. Oh, they yeah. Were then Super a, honest. A little bit older. They have long, thick, curly hair, don't they? Yeah. And we had so many tears and tantrums getting their hairs into ponytails, into nursery and into primary school. It was the best to try and test it on them yeah
1: because we knew it worked but if yeah. there
0: is a knot you ease off and so it does give you back that which is why i guess it's effective isn't it
1: yeah and we've also done good with it because we're ambassadors of a, a charity called the little princess trust so every kid that has cancer in the uk gets a manta with their wig um, and we're also partnering now next january we start with um paxman's cooling caps that the cooling caps that go on heads through chemo yeah and this is for a preparation kit so after you've finished your chemotherapy and you can use the manta to soothe the scalp and stimulate the scalp and then when your hair's growing back as well it'll make it'll be really nice to brush your hair with it so you don't break the hair that's growing back so it, you know we're selling in probably 25 countries now uh, from usa to japan uh, even from like Ukraine uh, to Australia so it, it it's, it's a real success story and we've done we're moving on with lots of different products to help people so it's been brilliant the journey but it's funny to think would I have done it and I would never have done it without you being ill and would I have given it the same effort without you being ill probably not because It it just made me focus on something that, again, I could sort of be responsible for and control and gave me an outlet from you being worried about everything all the time. You also
0: often said to me, look, I've just really got to give it my best shot. There is no way I'm just going to do things half-heartedly.
1: Yeah. And you know what as well? I think going back to that living in the moment that we talked about first, because I know that life is so delicate and can end at any time. So as soon as you take it for granted and think everything's sorted, it will just change. Then that carpdm sees the day; it, it could be your last day. It is the it just give everything your best shot. Because if you just be a survivor and just go through life surviving, that's not living. But living is just grabbing life and going for everything you can. And it sounds cheesy, but when you have something as dramatic and strong and as desperate as what happened to you and to us, it sort of takes the blinkers off. You think, we've only got one shot. And I know it's a cliche, but I don't want to look back and regret. And if it all ended today or tomorrow, I wouldn't want to regret that I haven't done stuff. So you just got to go for it. And that is help me, and I make big decisions easily because I have that in my mind.
0: And I remember there are so many times where I wanted to hold back. Remember when we had a, an opportunity from the BBC uh, to go on a show called The Customer is Always Right. And I'm not sure if any of you watched it, but they invited us onto this show and uh, different entrepreneurs and inventors are uh, giving away their products and people at home, the customer is testing them and then they give real-time feedback. Mm. And I kept saying, what if people think it's rubbish? Let's not do it, well, just in case we get bad feedback. And you're like, no, I know I've know i made a really good product, let's do it. And you won it, didn't you? You won yeah. the show and they came to film at home. And now sometimes we have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and we have a TV studio at home and we live stream to America to big teleshopping shows mm. and it is mad isn't it I go to bed with my makeup on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and then we live stream to the US to like millions of people into their living rooms and then we go back to bed and we wake up in the morning as if nothing's ever happened and it's mad where this sort of manta sort of journey has taken us
1: in line with your journey yeah yeah it's true I mean, as I said, I, I'm lucky enough to, I had the resources to put the money in, but also I wouldn't have had the impetus without seeing what you've gone through. So I'm not saying, I, I, you know, if, if it all went back in time, I would, I would give this up in a, in a blink of an eye to make sure you never went through anything. But because we are where we are and it is what it is, make the best of it because, it, you, as I said, one shot.
0: Aside from winning numerous consumer and industry awards, like magazines, you know the Queen's Rush,
1: Award, the brush
0: has taken you into Vogue and all of the magazines. But last year, you won the Queen's Award for Innovation. Yeah, it went to and, Buckingham Palace. And you won the War, the Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Yes. Which out of the two was more important to you?
1: Oh no! Obviously, the Queen's Award. It was the it was a, 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 a amazing experience. She wasn't there, unfortunately, because she was too ill. And when we actually got awarded the certificate which she signed it was on the hour when the lord lieutenant gave it to us presented it to us that she passed away so it was quite poignant um but that going to buckingham palace and that the experience really hit home and again you know it's funny how these things work because when i was getting the award i was standing next to a person who actually deals in China and exports beauty products to China. So then we started working together. So it's amazing how one thing leads to another and keeping your mind open and positive and looking at all the good things and living in the moment and appreciating what you've got. You've taught me that. You know, when we walk along, you might just stop and go, look at that or smell this or whatever.
0: And I never just have a cup of tea. It's always a nice cup of tea.
1: (laughs) Yes, nice.
0: (laughs) Um, There are so many more things that I wanted to talk about, but actually I think we're going to round up where we are. I think your life, people know about my life anyway, but I often think that we need to bring more of the stories of the people that are around us into the conversation because these parallel experiences that we often have are so big and the divide can feel so massive and so I think maybe by sharing your story people at home or their partners or their family members might think wow yeah this this horrible disease or even if it's not a disease it might be financial difficulties it might be Everything. relationship breakups it might be divorces they don't yeah. affect I mean I
1: would say that's one of the ch- most challenging things there also because what your relationship was like before and what you took for granted it is different and if you're not flexible I can see it being massive strain because people can drift apart quite easily.
0: And I changed completely as a person. Absolutely,
1: yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I was dancing on tables, knocking back the
1: schnapps You were the schnapps queen at one point.
0: I know. Growing up in Austria, I could knock back a schnapps. And then
1: now you're the teetotal queen.
0: Teetotal for nearly (laughs) 10 years. years. (laughs) Like that alone changed my going out and friendships and who I was and how we socialised, right? Everything,
1: yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I do love you as you are now, but I loved you as you were before. I mean, you were great fun before, and now you're slightly different, but... <laughs>
0: this, this is a good time to end this podcast recording before we have to enter the divorce procedures. Yeah. Um, Oh dear. Anyway, from Tim and myself from our little holiday destination in Italy, I'm sure you heard the banging in the background. Wishing you all the best. It's now August, and yeah, I'm hoping if you're on holiday somewhere, you've got a lot more sunshine than we do at the moment. Oh, Tim has been so optimistic and positive, and so super supportive to me and the family. In all of those years, he's been absolutely amazing. All those times where he wanted to look ahead and book a holiday, and I was holding back because I was so scared that we might not get to go, but then he did go and book a holiday, and we did make all of those amazing family holidays. I'm so grateful that he took the lead. And I think this is what our true partnership really, really makes, that we can sort of lead each other, guide each other, and also be our own persons along the way. There is an amazing um, poem that I often read. And I think the poem sort of sums up what Tim has managed to internalize and really truly believe. And I don't think I've internalized it, but I have to always remind myself of being in the present moment. And it's called, there is no destination, there is only now. There is only this, the present scene of the movie of your life. Come out of the epic story of time and space, past and future, regret and anticipation, and the seeking of different states and experiences, even the search for spiritual enlightenment. Relax your habitual focus on what's gone, what's not there yet, things you cannot possibly control from where you are. Come out of the story of my life and allow yourself to be fascinated by what is alive, Right here, right now. Be curious about the very life dance of thoughts, sensations, feelings and impulses that is happening where you are. Remember, now is the only place from which true answers can eventually emerge. The present moment is your true home prior to time and space. It is all there is, the calm in the midst of the storm. And I wonder if today's episode really got you thinking about your relationships and how perhaps your cancer diagnosis has impacted the people around you, maybe your partner, your family members, your children, and how we can all help each other heal from what we have all experienced. I often just think, wow, this one experience that we're going through so life-altering for so many. The ripple effects go way beyond our little little family units and um, yeah i hope that our vulnerable and honest and quite private episode today gave you a little insight on how we manage things what helped us along the way i hope you found it interesting how much our lives have changed it's often crazy to look back and think wow we've never ever ever thought we are where we are today when we looked back 10 years ago. And I wonder if you do the same. You think, how has your life changed? Or how do you want your life to change still? And with all of those thoughts and way more questions than answers, I'm going to love you and leave you. And thank you for tuning in. Do let us know, as always, of what resonates with you, what you thought about our episodes. Thank you for all your reviews. If you haven't, left a review for the podcast try and work it out (laughs) i'd love to give you a gift for leaving a review because i know it's difficult to work out how to even believe and do it but if you do it means the world to us we've had no funding for this podcast it's all self-funded by moi. i spent all of my own time and money getting the episodes out to you and we've had no marketing or advertising budget so the only way other people who might need and benefit from this menopausal cancer conversation are people that are going to find it on the podcast apps and the more reviews you leave the more you're just going to tell other people why and how it helped you the more there is a chance other people find our episodes so thank you thank you thank you and sending you lots of love wherever you are in the world